Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Obviously, you know, Franco is disgraced and shouldn't be talked about. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Coppola Connections, as always brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Patsyllabus. Here on this podcast, we watch every single film from the entire Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time this is episode 33 and the film we are talking about this week is Gia Coppola's directorial debut Paolo Alto and it feels like it's only right to give somewhat of a trigger warning and kind of uh content warning to this episode because obviously we talk about James Franco it was uh near on impossible to obviously talk about this film and the kind of ickiness around who James Franco is, the kind of appalling things he's done and the appalling person that he is. So yeah, this isn't like us uh, fawning at the man or anything like that. I'm sure neither myself or Daisy would like to do that. We we kind of hash out the James Franco of it all quite early on in the episode and then try and steer clear of talking about him. But obviously, like this film, the spectre of uh, Franco looms over it all together anyway. As is always the case, we will be going through some heavy spoilers in this chat. So this is your final warning to duck out of the episode now and watch the film. But I'm sure you would enjoy this episode all the same nonetheless. So with all of that out of the way, all that's left to do is to pack your car full of your buddies, get hopped up on booze and drugs, move from one party to the next bad decision as we make some Coppola connections. talk about Gia Coppola's directorial debut, Paolo Alto, which premiered at the Telluride Film Festival in 2013 before getting a limited release in May 2014. Based on a collection of short stories by James Franco, boo, and adapted by Gia Coppola, yay, 
The film stars Emma Roberts. Yay! James Franco. Boo! Jack Kilmer. Yay! Nat Wolf. Yay! Well, this film is basically nepotism the movie. But we'll get to that later. Joining me to decide if this film is a talented young artist of a film with potential and whether it alone makes the Coppola family the greatest film family of all time or if it is a skeezy teacher of a film that will get you to babysit and then put on the moves is somebody who's used to the IMDb's bottom 100 rather than a film festival navel gazing darling. I'm thrilled to be joined by one half of the excellent W-rated podcast, Daisy Edwards. How are you, Daisy? And how does it feel to be released from the shackles of the bottom of the cinematic <laughs> barrel? Oh, my God. It feels great. It feels like, do you know what? Don't give me this kind of power. Send me back <laughs> because I'm too hyped to, to talk about something that isn't trash because I love trash. But I've also been watching quite a lot of Razzie-nominated uh, films for our upcoming Razzie uh, uh I was about to say season. I'm not doing a whole season. Our Razzie episode. So it was quite a nice break to watch something a little bit different. As you say, very navel gazing. Yes. Very indie darling. But it was nice to break it up. And I'm very excited to be to be here on the podcast for the first time. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining me. It's uh it's it's been a long time coming. I think this episode has kind of been recent. Oh my god, yes, sorry. I just thought about that the other day. No a year, I think, ago we were supposed to do this. One. Yeah, it's like the it's like the Morbius of podcasts. It's, it keeps moving around <laughs> the release schedule, but we finally got here. So uh yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad we could be here. Uh but before we get into talking about the Coplers and this film, tell us a little bit about W-Rated. What, what is it? Yeah, sure. So um, it's our podcast um, with um, me and co-creator Claire. Um, so we watch the bottom 100 on IMDb. You might have seen that list right next to the highest rated. <laughs> not sure how many clicks it gets in comparison. You know, quite a lot of people talk about the top 250, not so much the bottom 100, but that is, you know, a territory unexplored. So I was a bit of a masochist and uh, morbidly curious. So I decided I was going to take it on um, at the beginning of last year and Claire and I were talking about it on Twitter and we decided that it had to be documented somewhere so she came along for the ride she told me that she could edit and uh, do all of that jazz so I was like great because I cannot do any of that now she does everything and I turn up and we watch some really bad films together Um, so yeah it's been (laughs) great to explore you know some of them really do deserve it some of them you know it's just a pile on so it's really we're really getting to like the crux of like some really deep film criticism and like sort of film history and things like that now um so it's been really eye-opening but also just a load of fun and sometimes not very fun at all <laughs> so. well yeah because obviously this started off as a Nicolas Cage podcast and he is one of three people part of the unholy trinity that has three films I believe I'm not sure it's an ever-changing list but at one point, he had three it is, films yeah. in the bottom, bottom 100, right? I know that we've done one of them, yeah, Left Behind, which is the um, mm-hmm. apocalypse, uh, end of times film that yes. was. Oh, it was fun. It was fun because it was really <laughs> bad. He played a character called Ray Steele, and he was a pilot that had an affair. It was like, wow, this is this is everything I want and more. Um, but I can't remember off the top of my head what the other, what the other ones were. I'm not sure if you remember so i want to say that it is the wicker man is on there because i just think when that list you're right you're right i think 2006 would have been definitely when people would have been 
at their height of kind of just mm. reviewing stuff on there anyway so i think definitely yeah, like sure. that's why that film and and it's a film that people just for some weird reason love to hate um i'm not sure if you can tell mm-hmm. i'm vamping to try and find out what that third nicholas cage <laughs> yeah. film is well, on the bottom 100 while you're looking for that, yeah, I completely <laughs> forgot about The Wicker Man because so many people want to talk about it. We've kind of delayed it to try and like see how we can get, uh, see how we can work on our schedule to try and sort of get everyone to talk about the films that they like. So we haven't yet got to that, but I haven't seen it and I am itching to watch it. Well, that film may come up later in this conversation. Uh, oh, Nicolas Cage only has two films on the bottom 100. So yay go nick what a, what a good guy good for him although um <laughs> my absolute worst film ever is a nick cage film it might not be on the bottom 100 but it's on the daisy bottom one and i you've covered it already pay the ghost yes pay the ghost is bad yeah pay the ghost yeah 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 it's it's not it's not it's not mm-hmm. one of his worst and that that's saying something that's saying something to some of the other films he's been in. I, I, oh I, gosh! Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I, I don't know. It really is saying a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think with that film, it's just that it's boring. It's really, really dull and boring. And like, there's worse films that are a lot more fun mm-hmm. than that. Do you know what I mean? Like, incompetently made, but mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. really fun. Uh, whereas that one, it's I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's Nicolas Cage just going through the motions and it's 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 a real it's a real sorry sad i feel like that's the real film sin Mm -hmm. if you if you make a film that's bad but it's not fun then that's the cardinal sin yes definitely (laughs) Definitely, and i'm sure there'll be films that you'll cover on your podcast that will just be like this there's no fun to be had in this whatsoever do you know what i mean and then like i've had it on the i've had it on this podcast where it's like yeah oh, like i'm gonna have to find a way of and, and normally everything gets talked around about the film <laughs> apart from the actual film itself and then you realize oh like uh we're trying to avoid talking about the film because yeah. there's nothing really to talk about because it's dull as dishwater yeah yeah that's the worst definitely so let's find out what your coppola connections are Dave. uh coppola connections coppola credentials i'm talking about right now oh. uh when did you first become aware of the coppola family and when i say that like i mean like not just that there's one member but there's this whole kind of harem of of, of a massive the, spider's the depth web and br- the depth and breadth and width well, to be honest with you, Petros, probably the, the full extent coming onto this podcast, because I really didn't know just how many people. I think, like, first <laughs> off, like, knowing about Sophia, and then I'm like, oh, okay, related to Francis Ford, fine. And then you, then the big revelation about Nick Cage. Everyone, I feel like you should, everyone remembers when, where they were when, like, Michael Jackson died, and also where they were when they found out that Nick Cage was related to the Coppola's. because it's just such a big deal um but yeah I think probably around about like five or six years ago maybe a bit longer when I first started getting into like going to cinema on my own um just before I did like uni or after film production and just kind of seeing people like reading reviews and them going oh of course you know it's great because they're related to a copper I'm like how big how big is this family exactly but yeah as I say full extent did not know until today (laughs) (laughs) 
what are like the um are there any ones that surprise you like people that you are aware of and then go oh they're mm. related as well i know that some people like see jason Schwartzman, yeah for, for me it's like, definitely oh, how is he related and then there's yeah for me it's definitely jason Schwartzman because i think that was probably one of the most recent ones that i I say realized sort of happened upon me and I was like oh here here goes another one how many have they got sort of like have they got just like a factory that they just keep like whizzing them out of (laughs) yeah and then and then it's like you go back to why why he got into film and then even that whole story is like oh it wouldn't have happened if his family weren't in film I think like Sophia knew Wes Anderson because of Spike Jones yeah. and stuff like that yeah. in the nineties. They were having a party at Francis's house. They're invited. Jason's there, and Wes Anderson goes, "That's the kid I'm looking for for Rushmore." Amazing. And then it's like, bang! That's that's uh, that's Jason Schwartzman's whole career off the back of that. But and, people uh, kind of like I get to talk about basically every Wes Anderson yeah. on this podcast too. People shit on it though, right? Obviously with the whole nepotism thing. But like, it's the same in every industry. Like a lot of people wouldn't have the jobs that they had, had they not known or been the family. Like, you know, you 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 are who you know. And sorry if they're famous. There's not really much they could do about that if their family are famous. Of course, they're going to meet other people in the industry. Yeah, I find that funny. Like people... When it is something like filmmaking or like uh, the media in general, when there's nepotism, people have a massive issue with it. But like, won't have an issue of like, have you seen that? That that builder <laughs> employed his sons. What a prick! Do you know what I mean? It's called Johnson and Sons. William. Like that. Like, why didn't he give opportunities to other people in the community? Why has he employed his sons? Like a, a fa- <laughs> like, and like a family business is seemed to be like a kind of yeah a good thing in any Absolutely. other aspect. Do you know what I mean? If you like, oh, we go go to this restaurant. Oh, well, what what is it? It's a fa- it's a nice family run place. You go. Oh, I can't wait to go. Like that's gonna be great. And it's like, oh, uh, are you got like are you gonna watch this film? Oh, like who made it? Oh, well, it's the son of. It's the daughter of Steven Spielberg. It's starring yeah. the son of uh, Val Kilmer. It's, <laughs> it's, it's written by Stephen Stephen King's son, and all, all that stuff. People go, "Get away! It's <laughs> disgusting." And yeah, I, I, I guess it's that thing. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've said I've said a lot of funny tweets about it and stuff like that yeah, at the it's moment. Where it's blowing like, up at the moment, isn't well, it? He, 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 yeah, even someone being like, "Don't, uh, don't, don't trust a film writer whose parents' uh, uh, names are blue on blue Wikipedia." On Wikipedia. <laughs> it's like you, you really get you get you get a real insight to why they are where they are, or yeah. do you know what I mean, any any actor, it's like, oh, their parents are in don't, blue. That's yeah, because don't get me wrong, I feel... but it's yeah, it's something. I feel like it's, it's good to be aware of. It's good to be aware of that they probably got where they are through their connections, because I think there's definitely something to be said about how difficult it is to break into an industry like that, especially when you don't have anything on your side. But to 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 of sort of suggest that they shouldn't do it purely because it would be easier for them is just so bizarre. Yeah, and it's that thing as well of, um, I guess like it would be hard like to grow up in that environment 
and not kind mm. of by osmosis kind of be enamored yeah. by that world i don't know imagine like there are Definitely. there are probably children <laughs> of successful actors or directors and that who are kind of like growing up they're just like oh that that world just i find yeah. it icky do you know what i mean like i want nothing to do with it mm. whatsoever whereas like yeah. other ones probably i don't know if yeah if you're sophia copla and you basically spent your childhood on the set of on the uh, set of godfather now, <laughs> do you know what I mean? you're, yeah set, yeah yeah if you're gonna be on the godfather yeah if basically like because when i winona Ryder has dropped out of a film your dad is going you star in this film instead of course you're probably yeah. gonna go uh yeah I'll, I'll, i might make a film my like favorite book's just been optioned i'll try and see if i can write a script for the suicide uh, yeah. imagine suicides yeah why not yeah so, <laughs> I, I don't know it's a it's it's a difficult conversation i guess i don't know yeah, if you've got problems yeah. Yeah, uh, probably write essays you can about it on like... twitter instagram yeah 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 yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. and um, i don't know i'm sure i'm sure most people obviously i'll speak for myself here but like if I had that opportunity, do you know what I mean? I, exactly. I wouldn't think twice. Do you know what I mean? Like, exactly. I would be like, oh, uh-huh. what? Dad, yeah, you're, you're giving me the opportunity to make a film. Lovely stuff. Yes, please. Like, mm. or, or whatever I wanted to. Yeah, I'd be like, okay, yeah. I think, I think it, the, the issue is when the people aren't good, I think that's when it falls down. Yes, right? I was it, about to say like, that for sure. Because if they clearly being employed purely because of their name and who they are that's different I think I think you know to 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 um to punish them for having the connections they're born into and utilizing them is I don't agree with but yeah if you if they're clearly just in it or taking up someone else's opportunity purely just because they've ridden the coattails of, of their family and not really done anything for themselves then yeah like totally totally agree <laughs> yeah. and, and I guess it's probably it's probably got to be hard if you genuinely do have an actual passion for it as well and then like you've got you've got like you're you're beaten up like from both sides you've got this enormous pressure to live up to the name of whatever family member it is that you're living up to and also you've kind of got the general public going you don't deserve to be where you are like you need to prove not just to not just maybe internal pressure you feel about living in that shadow you also have the pressure from mm-hmm. the general public who feel like you don't deserve to be there anyway that you're only there because of the 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 the, the amounting do you know what I mean this kind of the, the yeah. behemoth that's in For front sure. of you so it's like a kind of I don't know I, there's probably people going why the fuck are you empathizing for mil- to, for millionaires Petra but, <laughs> okay, I, do a, I do a podcast about the Coppola's I've, I've got I've got to empathize with yeah. them. I want to speak to Read them the room. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so uh, have you ever met a copla have you ever have, i don't know you you're, you're you're yeah you you do stuff in film have you ever been to a q and a i don't know have you ever you've been in the same room as no. copla unfortunately i haven't um and i'm tr- i'm tr- just trying to think i don't even think i've off the top of my head sort of been in any one degree of separation um but how amazing would that be i'm trying to think who the who <laughs> it would be that I would want to meet. I I mean, I'd want to see Nick Cage in the flesh just to see that he is a real human being. Um, But in in terms Mm -hmm. of like speaking to considering like, uh, like from the films that I've seen of hers that I really love the style of, I'd probably want to interview Sophia Coppola. 
Um, but I probably should watch more of her films before I say anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've got a I, I don't know I've got a real soft spot for Sophia and I, I I love her films. She's kind of yeah. Anytime anytime like news breaks that one of them might be releasing a film, I'm kind of trying to trying to put the feelers out, just going. Could somebody somewhere please like give me a <laughs> PR contact so I can try and speak to, speak to this person? Even though I, I don't know, this podcast makes me sound like a fucking stalker to some degree. Um, <laughs> this next question feels a little redundant because it's what is the first Gia Coppola film you would have seen? But I'm, I'm assuming it would have been Paolo Alto, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. This is the first one. I think this might have been because this is her first feature, right? I think I think she's done shorts before, but yes, yeah. And I saw it in twenty sixteen. Yeah. So yeah, this would have been the first one. I can't remember why or how or what drew me to watching it, but I guess it was out in twenty sixteen as well. Oh no, is out in twenty thirteen? Sorry, I misspoke. Maybe it was the Tumblr era of the time, and I'd seen so many uh, things on Twitter and aesthetically pleasing screen caps that I decided to watch it. But yeah, I've wrapped my brains, and for the love of me, I cannot remember why I watched it. But I'm glad that I did, and I'm glad that I experienced it. So, <laughs> so yeah, what were your well before yeah before we get deep into talking about Palo Hotel. Let's listen to the trailer. Mr. B's a hottie. Somebody wants to get it in with April. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Why would you say that? Mr. Morrison, given the support you have from the community, the court would like to give you one last chance to turn your life around. Try not to hang around Fred. Dude, can't be here. You just don't care about anything. I wish I didn't care about anything. This party sucks. I'm older and I know that there aren't a lot of good things around. And I know that you are really good. Why do you have to try so hard to seem crazy? Do you even think she's pretty? She's pretty. I don't think she's that pretty. I corrected your paper. You could have just corrected it. You didn't have to rewrite the whole thing. <laughs> You're going down the tunnel of death. You're young. You don't know why you do things. But there's always a reason. So before we get into uh, talking about your first reaction to seeing this the first time and kind of, uh, yeah, your relationship to the film, uh, I always like to ask my guests to uh, give us a little synopsis of what this film is about. Daisy, go ahead. Wow, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> that's a big question. What is this film about? I would say that this film is um, a slice of life of the Californian teenager through the perspective of someone who is in the Coppola family <laughs> <laughs> and maybe hasn't experienced what, well, I, I say that I'm obviously from the UK, 
a lot of people have said that this is very much what being an American teenager in somewhere like California is. I don't know if it's maybe heightened, maybe a tiny little bit, but essentially it follows, um, I would say, four main characters um, through, doesn't don't even know timescale, maybe about six months, very dreamy, very floaty, very, as I say, slice of life just these moments to moments but it's just about these sort of pivotal things that happen to them that are quite dark and quite sad and kind of how they just take it as that's life and they don't know any different um and uh yeah I'd say um Emma Roberts is probably the main uh actress um playing April as you heard in the trailer um speaking to James Franco he plays um her football coach um and they're their relationship I guess is probably if you had to pick one of the main plot mm-hmm. threads but it is very much sort of well it's based on James Franco's stories right they're short stories so I guess the way that they they've done I don't I've not read them so I don't know if they do interconnect anyway or if that's done as part of the screenplay but it's just about you know their different experiences as teenagers in Palo Alto in California well yeah you saying about the short stories uh Gia picked the certain ones which the the short story she picked from the book are okay. chinatown halloween emily jacko april in three parts they're the kind of like they're the what uh five stories she picked and the reason she picked those was because they all had like similarities and some of them do intersect in the book they do kind of overlap um the stories and in the kind of pre-production for this film, it's, it's it's kind of weird. And like hearing about it now, kind of, I don't know, you look at it in a different light because it's uh, James Franco like approached her about mm-hmm. doing the film and kind of like, I've got this book. Okay. And kind of like in a weird, like in a, I don't know, it, it could be a case that it was perfectly above board. Like, I guess like she's someone from a influential family, so he probably couldn't get away with the shit that he is. Uh, let's let, let's be honest has done elsewhere and we'll get onto some of that later because mm-hmm. i think it's quite important to talk about especially in relation to this very film. pertinent for this uh, film. but um mm-hmm. yeah he approached her and then like yeah she kind of went through and picked picked the stories but she said she liked that there were similarities between those stories and there's from re- mm-hmm. so there was a running yeah thing. And from reading like some of the stories in the book like i'm like oh, i can see that element from that story or that element and they're like so sure. yeah the when she talks about halloween there is it's basically a story about i guess it's some of it's melded into the uh teddy character where uh the st- story okay. halloween is basically halloween night a kid um goes to a party kind of splits off from the group gets gets high and drunk and then drives drives home and commits a hit and run on a woman like like not in a car like actually runs over like a pedestrian and then just drives off and then it's him kind of coming back Uh to town years later and kind of saying i often forget about I'm, i'm often sometimes reminded about like that night on halloween when i ran over that woman so like mm. there's obviously elements of that in the teddy story and that character's sure. on probation i think but then some some elements of that you can see molded into the fred character as well so it's kind of i think she's just cherry picked mm-hmm. different like kind of 
flavors mm-hmm. from the different stories to uh to, to make this that's interesting because it works because i wouldn't have known that it was sort of mishmash i just assumed that that was mm-hmm. effectively uh, essentially like it, i didn't even really clarify in my head are these all of these different character stories separate stories or are they all just one short story that she's chosen so that's interesting i'm interested to read it now i just don't want to give james franco any yeah I, I bought the book from world of books <laughs> so like somebody else has paid Re- the money I'm looking for a reseller yeah. somebody has paid mm-hmm. the money to james franco i'm just uh, uh i'm just paying a, a that person uh, uh i don't know yeah, yeah. I, I feel dirty owning it it's like i had I had all these intentions to read all of it and then i was like on public transport and stuff like that i was like i can't pull out this book. oh yeah it's yeah, not on yeah. it's not on audible <laughs> so I, I can't listen to it i have to try and read it and i'm really bad at reading books uh-huh. um imagine if it was on audible but james franco oh, was boy. reading it oh could you do it then? I don't know. I, don't know. I reckon. I, I reckon it probably was, and then they've taken it off. <laughs> You're so right. You're right. So yeah. yeah. Before we get a little deeper into the the chat, I just wanted to run off some stats. So the budget for this film was one million dollars. So not a lot. Not a lot. Of, not a lot of penny. But it only made a box office return of one point two million dollars. So didn't really wash its face. But I don't think that's really the intention for this film right like mm. i don't know what what were no. your initial uh thoughts when you first watched this back in 2016 if you can remember that far back i think i i much preferred it then than i did now <clears throat> that's not to say that it was bad i just think i was much more affected by it i watched it in 2016 so i would have been um god i i, I can't do maths all of a sudden 22 mm-hmm. i think um and I don't know like I was a lot more sensitive to things like what I was sort of watching on screen and and things like that especially like not that long out of school and sick forming uni and that kind of community kind of feel you know with people like that and I think um a lot of the stuff that was quite dark really affected me in that way um so yeah but it's interesting you said about making the money I it does feel like more of a we just want to tell these stories we want to play around with what it means to tell a story in this way you know it's James Franco's own stories and he's in it and then obviously Gia Coppola's first film and she's part of this family it kind of just felt like a as you say a bit of a navel gazing exercise in we can do this so why not let's tell these stories or let's get all these kids we know through the industry mm-hmm to be these, you know, good-looking teenagers who are demolishing themselves. Um, <laughs> and let's make it super, super pretty, and, uh, and it will get tons of posts on Tumblr. So. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Ariane Anaputri for, for, for saying that basically anyone between 2012 and 2016 has probably ingested this film via, like, Tumblr gifts. And... Maybe that's what it was. <laughs> Maybe that's what it was because I was an avid Tumblr user from <clears throat> maybe like 2008 or nine until maybe 2013, 14. So this might have just been like the cusp of me stopping to use it, but seeing all mm. of these gorgeous images. And look, I, I, I love an aesthetic film, but I think now that I'm much more time poor than I was uh, nearly uh, six years ago, 
I yeah, you've got you've got to have some some substance mm. there underneath it for me to really feel moved by it now. Um, maybe that's why I felt it a little bit more vapid this time than I did the first well, time. Well, I think to that point as well that like talking about like, what should. Do, do you want to should we jump into the James Franco of it all now yeah. like just because it's kind of it's let's the elephant yeah, it's, is it's, in it's the very, room yeah it's very let's. much in the, like, so obviously yeah James Franco has had a slew of allegations against him which one being that he like created basically a film school um the, the mm-hmm. studio four and the like countless amounts of students have kind of came out with allegations that basically it was just an exercise for him and his kind of cohorts to to use and abuse students to kind of get them to do uh, mm. basically like salacious uh, performances and stuff like that. And they had to sign off their rights to the footage that was used for the short films they were making. And like, uh, I, I, I think, I, I, yeah, I, I can say this with confidence that like he has had to pay out that the, there's obviously some validity to it because he's had to pay out over $2.2 million in reparations to people for what happened. Like, it, it, it... Yeah, you'd take it to court if you weren't guilty, wouldn't yes. you? And the thing is as well, I mean, that's a sweeping statement, but I think in this instance, but like, when, was, when were these allegations come out? I'm intrigued in terms of the timeline of this film being released. So, all, 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 like, so the, main, the main allegations of James Franco I think it all the kind of the the thing that started the ball rolling of, of this kind of world of just deceit and deception and kind of uh sleaze and skis that he had mm. came out like the year after well it would have been the year this film came out like theatrically and kind of on home media so I wonder if that was a cause and effect mm. you know well, yeah cuz the, the flap of the butterfly's wings people seeing him that his stories he cut they cast him in that role which we've alluded to is someone who grooms a teenager like surely people would have gone hold on a minute (laughs) he can't keep getting away with this yeah and i I know like i i i would imagine like how flippant he was about it so he like his response to the initial scandal that happened with him regarding to texting a 17 year old um at at the time when he was 35 years old he tweeted out saying uh all caps by the way as well said i hope parents keep their teens away from me thank you uh which was his his response that was his response which kind of makes me feel like i don't know there was like a weird i know that he's he thinks that he's a performance artist as well that like he would have like um, almost orchestrated like because i think the the girl in question it wasn't illegal because it was something to do with like the state of new york or something like that and the yeah. legal the legal because i think different states have 16 and 18 of what they class as consenting adults yes um it's kind of not I the point eight, though, right? yeah eight, <laughs> 18 is the norm over there and i think 16 is uh 17 is the state of new york where this where this happened but it almost feels like he would have weirdly mm. done it as like a kind of uh, low, like really. Didn't no, because he claimed that it was something to do with the role. He claimed right? that it was like was PR, that him? right? I think I believe. 
that it was yeah. PR for this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember yeah, this like now. Yeah, like that he was... Oh, he's some sort of, like, um, normie Jared Leto, isn't he? It's like, if Jared Leto was a jock, it would be James Franco. Yes, he's, got, he, he's kind of weird because he's had this kind of fascinating career of kind of, like, flirting with these kind of bro comedies, but then also trying to make these, like, weird art films, whether it's a film he did called uh, Interior Leather Bar, which is recreating deleted footage from William Friedkin's Cruising, which is a film all about... Yeah, Al- I've heard, yeah, yeah I've heard about yeah, that. All yeah, all about Al Pacino kind of infiltrating yeah. the, the, lev- yeah, the yeah, leather yeah. scene in LA and stuff like that. And um, yeah. so, yeah, like, in regards to the, the allegations... Or, there's kind of there's kind of like a, 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 like a few different things that kind of when watching this film now it kind of all make it it gives it a bit of an ick right there's a bit of an ick factor to the movie mm. Mm. Um, and for sure yeah I, I, I think like I don't know I just I wanted to I, yeah I, I wanted to play the, this clip that I think will 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 will, will, oh, go on. I'm will demonstrate what uh uh, what a bad guy James Franco is. Horrible stuff that's going on. It's it's depressing and it's sad because obviously some of these people are very talented and it's depressing that if they're predators, of course they have to go down, but I mean, it's, it's fucking sad. The bad stuff can happen on a movie as well. There's some people that go into this business because they got off and having power. And the most times they feel the most powerful, which is why they went into the business, is when they're making, you know, when it, and I mean hitting on, and not necessarily, I mean <clears throat> completely sexual on somebody that's underneath them. I mean, there are predators absolutely everywhere. There's stuff that happens on a set that can be really inappropriate. And there can be that type of predatory aspect on a set because you think, well, we're in the circus and we're on the road. So therefore, the rule, do the rules really apply? They don't yeah. really apply. There's the other aspect of it is, is that <clears throat> come try to get this job from me. You want, you want me to give you a job? Come on, come. Come prove to me that you want this job. That's a sin, and that's against the law, and that is a degree of harassment and predatory behavior that goes against an assumed code of ethics you will agree with that james yeah the cha- if it change it yeah of course of course uh that that is from the hollywood reporter roundtable which was you, you would have the uh sam rockwell tom hanks i believe willem dafoe was yeah there as well. that video deserves an oscar <laughs> like I was going to bring this up, but I'm so glad that you actually played it in its entirety because I watched it on Twitter and when the interviewer goes, James, and you see his face, honestly, like pure dopamine rush. Like, oh, I just, I felt like I could run a marathon after watching that. It was beautiful. The pure shock on his face that he was the one that was had the question directed to him. He looked guilty. Yeah, I, I think there's people who have, um, claimed that like Tom Hanks did it on purpose. Like he kind of. Oh my god! And I hope that he did. <laughs> I hope that he did. Honestly. Um, so yeah, it's it's it's, it's I, I don't know. I, it's kind of a it's kind of a weird place to s- start off this conversation. But it's definitely we had to get the the mm. elephant out of the way and kind of I, I don't know. Like we can yeah. kind of. I, yeah, because I think if it, it would just been him playing that role, but it's knowing that it was his story and like, I don't know. It's 
I would say, oh, you don't know what the story was adapted from, but like the main plot point is that his character grooms a teenager. So it's like, well, you can't really have misinterpreted that in any way. So I think it's important to to make that connection up front and say, hey, we we are aware that this guy wrote this stuff and he's playing him and he also did that stuff. So it's hard to get, it is hard to get past that. Well, sure. And it is that thing that he at some points has been a teacher, right? He like, he taught at like uh, universities, mm-hmm. like the film programs and stuff like that. And as I said, he ran this um, film and acting school, Studio 4, that obviously like got closed down because of the kind of, um ill behavior he was committing so like the 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 parallels between him and the character of mr b uh are now kind of i think will forever kind of um cast a shadow over this film in kind of how you yeah unfortunately how you watch it like do you mean and it's 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 Mm. kind of a blessing that like he doesn't really get that much screen time but i guess like the no, the you're right. The specter of him looms over the film, right? Because it's kind of like he kind yeah. of he gets top billing despite being like, as I said, like doesn't doesn't get the most screen time. He kind of it's based on do you know what I mean? It's based on stories that he wrote. It's I think like in places it's like James Franco presents Gia Coppola's Paolo oh, Alto yeah. and stuff like that. So like, yeah, I think it's the production company and James Franco present. Or the other way around. I think he might have even put himself first. So, yeah, it kind of says everything <laughs> you need to know about him, really. Well, yeah, that's that. That's that elephant ticked off the bloody list. We had to, mm-hmm. we had to get there at some point. So, um, let's talk. Let let's talk yeah. about some like the the storytelling in this film. How how do you feel that like the kind mm. of because it is kind of meandering and kind of like I don't know. There's mm-hmm. the, would you say like what are the kind of main beeps that propel this story forward for you what are the things that stand out it's interesting because it's it is it is a tough one it is one of those films where a lot of people be like I don't get it nothing happened Mm -hmm. so you automatically think well no it's a character study right it's saying something about if if you if it's not saying something through the plot it's saying something through the characters and I think that's a perfectly fine way to tell a story. In fact, I think that there's many, many benefits of telling a story that way. And I think sometimes I'm very much in the mood for those kinds of films. Obviously, I feel like maybe it's a bit harder to engage people sometimes. I think, like, uh, for example, something like uh, Breaking, Bla- Breaking Bad's The Fly episode, mm-hmm. or Fly, is so divisive, divisive Sorry, because it's one of those moments that slows right, right, right down and quote nothing happens quote but I love it because it's telling me so much about the characters and I think in theory that's what Paolo Alto is trying Mm -hmm. to do unfortunately I don't think it's actually telling us much about the characters at all I think it's just a bit of a um bit one-dimensional a bit and I think it's just a little bit too self-important I don't think that the characters are really being shown as like there doesn't seem to be a message behind that other than look at what these kids are doing. Yes. And we're going to like romanticize the fuck out of it, yeah. which will piss some people off and other people will like it and be like, it's got a message. But for me, I'm a bit like, I don't know if, if Gia Coppola or James knew what their message was intended. Mm. 
because you know everyone has their own perception I just can't feel what they were trying to say about it necessarily yeah and I, I I'm all for like kind of hangout movies and slice of life like like I love uh, mid 90s if you've yes. seen that yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very much yeah, yeah, yeah. like that um really really <laughs> that's that, that's a really good um, touch point and I think like films that kind of came before this that kind of could be touch points would be um larry charles's kids like a film all about kind of new york street oh, okay kids. i haven't seen it's that. a very tough watch but that is a film that kind of takes okay. this idea of kind of just following this group of delinquent kids and kind of but, but a bit more on the kind of um lower class strata than these kids who are kind of mm-hmm. i think that's the problem with this one the, right it is a little bit woe is me middle class privileged white yes, kids. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which makes it a little bit harder to... And, and I think that the much. the character development and the kind of shifts in their kind of outlook on life are, are maybe like a little too subtle. It could, it like, and don't get me wrong, it could be a lot worse if it's like all of a sudden Teddy has like a massive epiphany at the end. Like you you get a little mm. bit of that when he decides to to get out of the car with Fred and like... I just wanted to play two yeah. clips back to back that kind of show that kind of subtlety because uh-huh. they're two they're two moments that mirror each other, but you kind of in in mm. their interaction they really tell you like that subtle change that Teddy has gone through throughout throughout the film and yeah, the, the first one is literally the opening moments of the film. Teddy, mm. if you're in the olden times, what, what would you do? Which olden times? Like uh, King Arthur with knights and horses and shit. Oh, I'd be the king. No, you could be king, dog. No way. Dude, if I went back, I'd be the fucking king. I'd be the king. And then the other comes like kind of near, nearer the closing of the film when the, the the characters have kind of gone through everything they've gone through, and then kind of have a have basically the same conversation once again. Hey, what would you do if if you were an Egyptian? Can't be a fucking pharaoh. Why not? Can't be a fucking pharaoh. Why not? I don't even want to be Egyptian anyways. All that sand and mummies and shit. So boring. You'd be an Aztec or a Mayan. And then fucking cut your heart out. Hey, maybe we'll get cut cut skulls hard out i I think what you get from that is that like teddy has kind of i don't know like mellowed ever so slightly but again it's not it's not enough to to think whereas fred's character is kind of like Mm. ramping up and it is that the film is left on a kind of cliffhanger of like he's gonna go over the he's he's on his way to going over the edge and like what he does next is more terrifying and it's kind of uh teddy in a way played by jack uh, kilmer has kind of he's had his teenage mm. rebellion right and he's kind of he's now kind yeah. of mellowed slightly and, and and that's the thing i think where this film falls down is he's got like some of these they've got no reason to have these rebellions like as we see with but that's a key part of the film right what they talk about like when april's talking to mr b about her history homework and she's very much like you know i don't I don't know why any of these things happen, you know, why does anything happen? And they're sort of talking about how 
everything happens because of a reason like there's always a reason that people do stuff she's like well I don't know why I do things and he's like that's because you're you're a kid or like a teenager or whatever he said oh you're young he says I'm very careful not to say kid or teenager obviously (laughs) uh given his position um but he said that's because you're young you don't understand it and I think that that's their message that's what they were trying to do with this film is that kids don't understand why they do the things they do but they do do them for a reason and I do think that's really interesting and I really don't think this film is bad by any means I was just missing that like that moment there just wasn't a moment that really gripped me and like and I think in the first watch it for me was the detailing about Emily's sexual assault that really got me um and the way that it was told and filmed just honestly made my stomach sink and it was really really hard to watch and hear basically but this time because I knew it was coming and I was watching the characters a bit more carefully there just wasn't that emotional impact so it just kind of goes to show it was more of a shock value the first time yeah. around rather than actually earned yeah I, I watched this film for the first time for this for this podcast record and that mm-hmm. that scene like is I, I think i think it's tastefully done and like uh, gia coppola has said like mm-hmm. she want she wants sure. to incorporate that like element of like from the book but like Without it being gratuitous and, I, and exploitative. And I think that's the thing. Like, I, I, I think back to the fact that um, James Franco at one point was going to direct Zola and, like, how that film, I'm not sure if you've seen, oh, okay. if you've seen that, the way that, like, ha- I haven't, but I know about it and I've seen Spring Breakers, so I can kind of get the vibe of what maybe he might want to so, go So, yeah, he, 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 like, <laughs> and, and stuff is handled in that that film, especially in regards to sex work and um kind of like stripping and stuff like that i think it's done it in like in, in real safe hands in uh, um mm. Jessica bravo whereas in like in his hands could have been done terribly and i think like being in gia coppola's hands being in a female director's hands any yeah. moment that it could be salacious in any way is handled like i i think i think beautifully like he, there's a moment when the the implied sex scene between April and Mr B I think was handled super well considering obviously like we know that Emma Roberts would have been of age of that time but I think it stuff like that being shown it does make you uncomfortable when it's when it's that kind of underage thing so I think the way that they presented that that was happening visually in an experiential way, I think, yeah, have let's have way more of that because it, what it leaves the imagination can be so much more affecting than what's being shown, especially when it's a very sensitive topic. And in those moments as well, like she, like the way it's filmed is she is filmed almost like, um, like you could tell she's filmed without him there. So she's like, and it gets that kind of yes, it, it, it captures that detachment of I guess what a lot of like abuse abuse survivors kind of feel when they're in those moments when they kind of they know something is wrong and the way the way it's kind of shown on screen is i i I think great because it's kind of these really beautifully framed shots and kind of just on on her face or kind of there's body parts and stuff like that but it's just like i don't know it's almost like she's in this this void of space and it's just you kind of just see her face and it focuses on both the girls in that moment, not on their abuse, which is really interesting. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that's what 
what is done both powerfully but sensitively. So yeah, it's really yeah, because that Emily scene, like um, the way that is told as well, like with the kind of overlapping uh, narration from mm. Fred's character played by Nat, and it's kind of mm. like all this kind of cascading information upon you, where it's like it's a brown house. There's loads, of, and it's like, but stuff is kind of coming in, and that, like, and it's that thing as well, yeah. like. And uh, there was an interview with Vice that Giacoppa did. Uh, the interviewer asked, like, was like, was that supposed to be intentionally? Like, was that just a story? What like did that actually happen? Like, and it kind of I don't know. It kind of make I think that makes you feel even more uneasy, right? That like, that yeah. like why would a why would a teenage boy if that wasn't true? Why would he be going around bragging yeah. about like it's it's disgusting that he'd be bragging about yeah. doing it anyway, but or like telling that story, but the yeah. fact that yeah, if he didn't do it and he's kind of saying that story would be even worse. Yeah, it's it's interesting you bring that up because I think that 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 actually and I always get like this and Claire Claire does doesn't moan at me, but she makes me laugh because she goes, You always increase your ratings of films when we've spoken about them on the podcast. I'm like, yeah, that's because I like Quick it into like hearing about the good stuff, you know, and like really thinking about it. But yeah, I think the way that that was done with just like shots of Emily being playful and fun and flirty with Fred and very like focused on her only and in hearing Fred's attached voice in that way, not only could it be thought of, oh, is this true? Is he lying to the, but that is how you hear about people's sexual mm. assault from other people. And that's how it would have happened with teenagers. You hear from that person that hears from that person. You never um, see it. That- like these kids would never see that that happened. They would just hear from their mate that that happened, whether it was true or not. And that scene kind of has like, um, like a, a button on the end of it that kind of really leaves like a kind of you feeling icky. I I, I didn't want to say foul taste in your mouth because like with him, even though I've just said it anyway, uh, that's gonna make sense in a, in a second because <laughs> it's him, him like pushing her down and saying like to give him a head in the back garden yeah. saying like tell me you love me mm. and it just like mm. like and like, i've got a hats off to nat wolf who throughout this film plays an absolute piece of shit oh uh, skin crawlingly horrid like awful yeah like he drops he drops and he seems like a nice boy yeah he's, he's what he's a nickelodeon <laughs> kid right him and him and him and Al- yeah. alex wolf were <laughs> Well, Alex. Well, Alex has kind of taken over a little bit now, hasn't he? He's been in a lot more, lot more stuff than than Nat Wolf has. But um, yeah, I need. I needed to. I was going to look and <laughs> see them when they were kids. You know, when you see people, you're like, oh, I forgot what they looked like when they were kids, but they had their Nickelodeon. Yeah, yeah, and I, I like. I think yeah, his his performance because he has like moments throughout the film, whether it's like that kind of um, first interaction with Emily, like when he. He kind of goes over and steals the cigarette when she's smoking with Pam and stuff like that. And mm. even the way like he talks to that Pam and like he's always like calling mm. people like like yeah bitches and whores. And I, yeah, I I think well I've th- yeah th- this clip kind of uh, encapsulates kind of how much of a dirtbag Fred is. Not gonna work this time. Emily, Chris, get in the fucking pool. No! Get in the fucking pool, Emily. I'm not getting get in the fucking pool! Get in the pool! I've been excited about this! Just get in, okay? Stop asking me! No! Get in the pool, whore. You'd be a real cunt, you know that? Just get in the fucking pool! 
Okay? You know what, Fred? What? I thought I loved you, but what you're am a I? real what? fucking oh, I'm a what? bitch! I'm a bitch! I think what is quite telling about that moment as well is when she says, I'm not falling for this again, I think that, like, gives some validity to what we what we have heard earlier in the film of that story of what happened with Emily. Do you know what I mean? Like, when she said, I, mm. I thought I loved you. Like, mm. and I, I, I find mm. her such a, a fascinating character. And she is, she is pretty, like, she is somebody who could be even more 2D than she already is because she doesn't really get a lot to... S- she doesn't get enough time, I don't think. I think her story would have really benefited from fleshing out more. And I think they could have used some of April's time that feels a bit mm-hmm. wasted um, with Emily. Because I think she's the most fascinating. Because obviously, like, what we said about this being a slice of life of being an American teenager. And then also kind of, like, that message or theme of, like, why do people do the things that they do? The main sort of running thread is, like, people is like love and trouble which is what they kind of say in the trailer right people looking for love people looking for trouble whatever so you have like fred's character who clearly just wants attention clearly wants love isn't getting it we do see his dad at some point who's high and then gets um teddy to smoke with him and there's a moment where teddy mentions fred and and you can tell there's something not right about their relationship i don't think they mention a mom like so you just, it's all left to the imagination what actually goes on in these kids' lives. And obviously I've said, woe is me, middle-class privileged workers. Everyone still has their problems, right? I think the issue is we don't really, it's hard. Is it an issue? Is it done well? We don't really get to see the issues. So would that have benefited from it? Or are we best to just leave that to the imagination? But you have that. And then you have um, April, who's had this sort of like groomed relationship. You have Teddy, who's like, has, has the hit and run and then tries to rebuild himself, but still has Fred dancing around him and that kind of thing. Then Emily was so fascinating because I really think this whole problem with with sort of like girls in, of that age is this want to impress other guys. And this is obviously for heteronormative relationships, but like want to impress guys so they sleep with them mm-hmm. or do other sexual favours. And then they're immediately rejected because the boys don't value girls who will give that up easily. But she continues to do it because she's stuck in the cycle, right? She'd rather be the girl that pleases the guy for five minutes than the invisible girl. And that's so heartbreaking. And I just feel like I would have liked to have explored that story a little bit more. But I think they position her as that girl that we all know but don't know, which I think is quite smart. Actually, when you think and, about and, it, and I think that there's like enough breadcrumbs like to her character, whether it's the kind of thing about her blog and stuff like that that the girls like mock at yeah. the beginning. And it is, you get this sense, and I think it is in Zoe Levin's performance as well that like there's this kind of sadness always in her eyes, where it's just like, oh yeah, this feeling that the character of Emily just wants to be loved, and like unfortunately she's got mm-hmm. herself in a situation where she feels that the way to do that is to kind of sleep with these guys and kind of be used and abused. And, like, we even see it with, like, Teddy at the beginning when he basically, like, mm. he can't fess up to the feelings that he has for for, uh, for April. So April. he just uses, like, Emily, basically, to 
to to mm. yeah to and I, but I, and I, I do think that like one of the things that this film does does quite well is is kind of captures that loneliness that it doesn't matter what mm. kind of social strata you in you're in at school like for 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 all intents and purposes these kids look like they're in like the in crowd or at least like they're a part of a yeah. crowd do you know what I mean there's a there's a there's a kind of yeah. vibrant group of friends and stuff like that there's a lot of them but still it just like through small moments whether it's april kind of in the pool and stuff like that like when they're bitching about emily and stuff you just really mm-hmm. feel that that lonely and i like I, I yeah like it's something i can relate to like especially like being a teenager where it's that thing of mm. like oh, i'm surrounded by these people i think everyone likes me but i, I still feel lonely like do you know what I mean like i don't like yeah. I don't... and it's like it's interesting with that kind of age group and i think this is what the film does really well none of them are being themselves all of them are being who they think they they should be and i think the i think April's probably the one that's furthest away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I still, you have that conversation with her and Teddy at the end where he's like, you just don't care about anything. And she's like, I wish that I didn't care about anything. So it kind of implies that she, she kind of, rather than puts on a front, she just detaches herself from everybody. And I think that's probably why she does end up with the teacher because she kind of, feels heard by someone for the first time like she kind of speaks to those two girls a lot but then like that scene where she's crying in the in the bathroom and they're just chatting away I kept expecting the the camera to go out to a wide shot of the bathroom of her just sitting there crying and them having completely ignored her and just chatted around because I feel like that is the kind of thing that would I don't know just hammer home that message for her that she's there and she's accepted but she isn't she isn't being herself either because she's not being anybody. So you could argue that there, there's that. Um, but when you said about the pool scene, I think that is the most relatable thing I've ever felt coming from a girls' school. Hearing someone say, oh, my God, did you know that Emily has a blog? And then them ripping it to shit, that is pulled fully from reality. <laughs> that just happened all the time. Um, so the fact that I have a podcast now is, you know, from <laughs> from real strength and courage. Because <laughs> if I'd have had one when I was a teenager, my God, I would not have any friends. Because <laughs> everyone would have. But they do it to tear each other down, right? They do it because they're not confident in themselves. It's, it's an epidemic in, in, in teenagers. And I think that's what they're trying to get at. But maybe in a more arty, subtle, experiential way. Yeah. That I don't know. It doesn't miss the mark, but it doesn't really drive it. It doesn't really home run it either. Well, yeah, it, it kind of doesn't have the backbone to re- like you know I mean to be a film like I mentioned, like kids, which like will go to the like. It's just missing that impact. Well, yeah, it's missing like going full like we're going to make an eighteen here and we're going to do a a no hold bars. This is what it's like to be a teenager. It might be amped up a little bit, but there's going to be like some. Do you know what I mean some mm. really gnarly shit, and you're gonna mm. see, you're gonna, you're gonna unfortunately see these things that are kind of whispered about in this yeah. film. But like, but it, it, it in the next in the next breath, like it kind of it makes the film have this kind of sinister edge throughout all of it. 
It because, does. Like, because it's a dream, like a dream, I, isn't it? It's like it's not reality. It's presented to you as if it's some sort of weird dream. Maybe that's on purpose because a lot of these kids feel like they're kind of not really in reality because they're kind of just I don't know going from one football practice to the next party to to crashing their car and it's all just on the same line. There's no ebb and flow to their life. There's no ups and downs. It's just yeah. And I, so maybe if we interpret it, it could actually be quite impactful. But then again, I'm like, are we really giving it loads of credit? <laughs> actually like because yeah looking at the kind of critical response for this a lot of people like their 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 criticisms like towards it are kind of the fact that that people see it as like it is quite like a a vapid film do you know what i mean and it is just kind of another portrayal of privileged teenagers with nothing new to say to the matter and it's like yeah people said like it hasn't got the kind of like uh insight and heart that like and and, and it's, it's probably a tough one for Gia as well kind of tiptoeing very closely behind Sophia who kind of very much plays in a very similar ballpark do you know what I mean like yeah her space yeah like yeah. this kind of and these these tales of the the rich and famous or the privileged do you know what I mean whether you look at something like somewhere mm. or the bling ring which would have come out like the bling ring would have came out the same year as this which like they're kind of yeah. they're very much like I've seen comparisons sister yeah. films or uh uh, uh yeah. a, 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 a an auntie and a niece of a film shall we say yeah <laughs> uh, but yeah I think I I I I think like the like my general feelings towards it is like it's okay like do you know what I mean it's like it's mm. nowhere near as hard hitting as certain films tackle very similar issues are and it's nowhere near as kind of life affirming as other films you know what I mean like there's I don't know mm. a, a film I kept thinking about whilst watching this was uh the perks of being a wallflower I'm not sure if you've ever seen that oh interesting that kind of like yeah. tackles tackles like some do you know what I mean like that there's a kind of uh a real yeah and also in a very subtle way in a way that's more palatable but you do understand the the, the serious nature of what's happened and I think the fact that it's fed to you in a way that isn't slapping you around the face again makes it feel so much more sinister because you kind of over time towards the end realize what had happened Mm -hmm. you're like oh god Um, and I think you can make the draw the comparisons between the way that they reveal that with with the way that the Emily stuff is shot um, yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, no, and I think it's interesting you said about this film. Kind of, it's not bad, but it's not, it's not going up here like this, and it's not doing this like this. I feel like it just kind of sits in the middle of, and you can say, oh, perks of being wallflower here, bling ring here, like other bits and pieces. I even thought about like dazed and confused as well, because obviously just following yeah, yeah. these kids who are just having a party, you know, blah blah blah. You just follow them around for that whole evening. They all seem to have something that is just a bit more of a spark in some way. I think, unfortunately, this just kind of withers a little bit, but that's its appeal for some people is that it is dreamlike and it's very aesthetic and very leaning on the fact that it doesn't do a lot. But I don't know, like, I feel like it kind of just, there's just something missing. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of like uh, between two 
a, a pillar on a post really with kind of coming of age like comedy like or like mm-hmm. drama being here like do you know I mean that are a lot more fun and then like kind of yeah. hard hitting or like there's a natural clear arc yeah 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 exactly those, yeah yeah all like of age right you you have the person before the story happened and after but I think that's what I was going to mention to you earlier as well is that I get this whole slice of life thing but generally they still do focus around some sort of transformative mm-hmm. event um and I think that maybe the reason this kind of suffers is because they are short stories so what's happened is whilst a short story has an arc over a shorter period of time it's then been translated into a plot point mm-hmm. within a bigger thing so it's kind of just these tiny little plot beats that don't really go anywhere that being said i think teddy has the arc in this even if he's not the main character yeah I, well gia coppola says that her like the way she sees the film like her main protagonists are teddy and april and the kind of the yeah, the main yeah. thread throughout the whole film for her is all about like whether they can like come together and like the Find that each kind other. of like weird like kind of ships in the night situation and it's kind of yeah like you remember the scene where they finally see each other like halfway through the film because they just they just don't interact they interact right at the beginning and then they do their own thing and I think like sort of maybe the middle towards the end not right at the end, but they just see each other at school and he gives her like a sweet, like a fruitella or something. They have no conversation and they're just like, okay, see you around. And it's just like, you guys are so similar. You have no mm-hmm. idea, but you just won't speak to each other. And I, I guess that's just one of those things they've tried to say, like teenagers. What are they like? You know? Yeah, they don't, know, they don't know how good they've got it until yeah. they don't have it, right? And yeah. It's like yeah. They, they have to go through <laughs> all this turmoil to realise. And I think, I don't know. Yeah. I think yeah. there's like some maybe that's the point. there's some sim- symbolic stuff in this film whether it's like the 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 heart that's carved into the tree and then we get that scene that i imagine they don't show you all of it because they couldn't for budgetary reasons actually cut down a tree so but like when like when no. kind of fred and teddy cut down that tree it's kind of yeah it is that thing of like i don't know like trying to that that negative influence that fred has on teddy that like that tree like is a kind of symbolic representation of something that teddy could have but he's got this kind of negative Mm -hmm. influence in his life who no matter how much he tries like he kind of whether it's through his probation working at the library and trying to help out and stuff like that he's got i love that when they're like i he's like i really like it here and they're like when we really like you like you can see he's a very sweet kid he just hangs around the wrong and like there are there are some like moments in this film that i really love i like one particular i love the moments when he's in the life drawing classes and the kind of like pearls of wisdom that the 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 the, the the teacher gives him and i particularly love this one just because it feels like a knowing reference to another coppola family member and a film series that one of them was in. You, you remind me of Sylvester Stallone. What? Yeah, he's a very good artist. Underneath all that muscle, you know, he's, he's a very smart dude. And you know, he wrote Rocky. I mean, he wrote Rocky, he wrote all four of Rocky, well, and that dude's smart. <laughs> uh, and by that, uh, it's a reference to Talia Shire, 
um yeah uh, mm-hmm. who, who features in this film so yeah we're kind of like i, I just oh. wanted to read out there is there is a handy um she features in Palo yeah she plays the um da, 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 like guidance counselor who like very briefly oh <gasps> of course Oh my god, I see it now. I didn't see it yeah, before. Yeah, kind of just like oh, amazing. Like yeah, says yeah, you're yeah, not yeah. going anywhere, yeah. and we also get the voice of um, the man himself, Francis Ford Coppola, who delivers this. Mr. Morrison, this is the second time you've been before the court. Given the support you have from your family, from the school and the community, the court would like to give you one last chance to turn your life around. In lieu of commitment, you shall be placed on probation for a period of 12 months on the following terms and conditions. One, you shall perform 150 hours of community service at the Children's Library. Given your demonstrated talent as an artist and painter, I think you'll do quite well there. Two, you must make a formal and in-person apology to Mrs. Grossman, the victim of your offense in whose car you hit. Mr. Morrison, if you fail to complete your community service hours, or if you engage in any further criminal conduct of any sort, your probation will be revoked, and you will be committed to juvenile hall. All right, thank you, and good luck. Uh, um, This feels like a a perfect time for me to to read out something that somebody has handily put on the uh, IMDb trivia for this film, which is basically a list of all of the nepotism in this film. So, <laughs> the director and many cast members are related to famous Hollywood people. Gia Coppola, Talia Shire, Bailey Coppola are part of the Coppola family. Jack Kilmer is the son of co-star Val Kilmer and actress Joanne Whaley. Nat Fox is the son of actress Polly Draper. Emma Roberts is the daughter of Eric Roberts and niece of Julia Roberts. Uh, Jacqueline de la Fonte is Gia Coppola's mother, who plays um, April's mum in the film. Um, right, okay. Uh, duh, duh, duh. And, is, and used to be married to the Getty family. Atlanta de Cabernet Taylor is the daughter of John Taylor and Amanda de Cadenet. Uh, Anna Fia uh, Bogdanovich is sister of the late great director Peter Bogdanovich. Emily Gretzky is the daughter of uh, co-star Janet Jones and hockey legend Wayne Gretzky. Jesse Joe Stark. No yep. way. <laughs> so Jesse Joe Stark <laughs> is Cher's goddaughter. Christian uh, Madsen is the son of Michael Madsen and the nephew of Virginia Madsen. Co-star Jessica Ellie Taylor and Brendan Taylor are siblings. Mika Nelson is siblings with five other actors and a visual a visual effects artist. Marshall Bell is married to four-time Oscar winner uh, Melania Cananero. Margaret Quayley is the daughter of Andy yes. McDowell. I remember seeing yes, her. Who Very plays um, Raquel, the girl who... Um, Mr. B is having dalliances with as well. And um, yeah, the other babysitter. <laughs> and uh, yeah, uh, Keegan Allen is the son of Philip R. Allen, and James Franco is the son of Betsy Franco and brother of Dave Franco. 
madness. Is there anyone that didn't have a connection working in that so you, film? It's like you needed, you know, like there's that that celebrity dating app where you have to like mm. be, you know, connected to. Is it like that, but a film I, version? I, I think I think there's an element of it because like some of it is quite quite sweet in regards to like how much of like a family affair this is. Like the behind the scenes yeah. like footage is filmed by uh the it's filmed by Gia Coppola's mum, who obviously, as I said, like play, oh. plays April's mum in the film. And some of the yeah. sets for this as well is actually uh, Val Kilmer and uh, Jacqueline Getty's house. Like they just used their own houses oh. and a lot of the kids stayed at Gia Coppola's mum's house and she would cook for them and stuff like that. Like it was really... That's a real really tight sweet. crew and kind of I want it do you know what it feels like it feels like G has gone right guys I'm ready to make my first feature film and they've gone don't worry we'll call up the friends get their kids involved yeah. that's basically what There's happened There's an element right? of that and obviously like you you would have thought like when this was kind of in the script stage and like early production and stuff like that like scripts would have been passed to Francis they would have been passed to Sophia do you know what I mean they would have been like a kind of a round table or whatever of them discussing like hey do you, like, do you know what I mean like a kind of godfather-esque scene where it's like oh she wants to be a part of the family like let's kind of like let's kind <laughs> yeah. of have a look at this script and stuff yeah. like that and the, yeah. the, the nepotism doesn't even end there so like when it comes to the music of this film um we've got Devonte Hines who has no relation to to anyone in this film but um does a fantastic job a lot of people may know him as being uh, Blood Orange or Lightspeed Champion or way back in the day was in a band called Test Icicles. Does these it's a fantastic like artist in his own right. I'm a I'm a massive, massive fan. But the other person who contributes to this soundtrack is Robert Schwartzman. So uh Jason Schwartzman's younger brother. And there's also a sure. track on the soundtrack by Coconut Records, which is just Jason Schwartzman under his like kind of uh music making moniker it's like they have a coppola whatsapp and they're like guys g is making a film who wants to be involved with this yeah. one they'll be like yeah i'm around i'll um i can't act though because i'm not around for long enough but I'll, I'll, I'll do a track i'll do a track and it's just like everyone like pitching in somehow which as you say is quite sweet yeah and i, I know that like when this was um when first like developing everything and kind of how she was going to work it out what story she was going to use uh was kind of told well just adapt the different stories that you like like write them into scripts and then kind of just make them with your friends and she kind of did that to begin with and then kind of mm. worked out what worked what didn't work and then kind of molded yeah. it into the like the, the, the final script that we see in the film which i think is fascinating way of going about it right um mm-hmm. yeah no i think it's interesting definitely a good one to for, for for the for the podcast given sort of the theming <laughs> of it definitely a good one to discuss <laughs> so i mentioned the music there what do you what do you think to the music in this film do you think it's affecting or effective in in, in what it's trying to do so I always talk about this. I'm quite terrible with music. Like I, I feel it. I don't necessarily hear and remember it, but um, I really like the music in this. I'm going to listen back to the score actually afterwards. Cause I feel like aesthetically everything about this is 
very dreamlike as we've mentioned and I, I like having that atmospheric mm-hmm. kind of music um yeah, so yeah I definitely think it, it it drives home that sort of melancholic but still it's interesting because even the way that it's shot it's kind of like a bit hazy and there's like so at some points pink tints yeah. and blue tints not proper heavy but you know you can feel this is sort of like coloring and I just feel like the music 100% just fit there. Basically, if I'd have seen, if I'd have watched this when I was at, in uh, doing film production at uni, I 100% would have taken it and ran with it <laughs> and done some sort of like project, do, just lifting this style in completely. Um, so in that aspect, it's very much. Yeah, I, 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 I love the score. It's like a lot of like kind of really subtle strings and a lot of simp strings and stuff like that that kind of, yeah, lots of stuff. And, and it's like, there's just notes that will appear that like have a darker edge to it that reminded me somewhat of the kind of um, the score to Twin Peaks. And it kind of, I don't know, it reminded me somewhat of that, I guess, in the kind of subject matter of you don't really know a teenage, what a teenager's getting up to and stuff like that. And like, mm-hmm. what's what? That should be the tagline <laughs> for this film. Oh, those pesky kids, you don't know what they're doing. Um, yeah. Did you spot a reference to a Sofia Coppola film in this uh, film, Daisy? Oh, no, I didn't. So, a- You're going to tell me and I'm going to be like, Duh. April has a Virgin Suicides poster in her bedroom. I did see <laughs> that. I did. I just forgot yeah. about it. See, yeah, I told you. See, you. you see Kirsten yes. Dunst's eyes just kind of like peering at you. Yeah, it's like a... Uh, in the WhatsApp group, Sophia's like, listen, I'm so busy, but you can have a post <laughs> Yeah, please, please. I, I, I think it's probably sweeter than that. I, I imagine Gia probably grew up, like, idolising yeah. her, her core artist. I think that's probably her, like, yeah, her tribute to Sophia. Because I imagine as much as she probably worships the altar of her granddad, like, I think being a woman and having a woman's voice in the industry and clearly she takes a lot of influence from Sophia's style as well. Yeah, 100%. That was definitely in have, have you Have, have you her. seen Mainstream yet, her newest film? Which, uh... No, I haven't. I haven't heard great oh, things. No, neither have I, but... Uh, um, no. Um, but I'm intrigued to see it because, yeah, I think, although we were saying about some of the issues that this film has, like, ultimately, there was a lot to like about it, and I'd rather we sort of discussed earlier as well about sort of like films that are dull I'd much rather watch stuff that's different and got some style to it and it's got something to say even if it's not obvious so I I do want to check that out and I love Andrew Garfield and I think no brainer I think the fact that like realistically there possibly would have been what like six years between those films being made that like it's not like she kind of got out of the gate and then people were like just have loads of money like it seems like she had to kind of like i don't mm. know like do what well, yeah yeah <gasps> yeah which is which is prob- <laughs> like it probably comes down to the fact as well that if she was a male member of the family or or like uh, 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 or not even that not even that the family have that much like swing like uh francis ford coppola is like constantly on the kind of verge of bankruptcy every decision he makes over it's yeah that's set. true yeah because i saw something earlier that said you know uh, a reflection of our culture is that they'd rather pay to have a mini series about the making of the of the godfather rather than give the director money to make another film yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because that's that, that's <clears throat> one of the rare films he doesn't own. Like a lot of them, and his production company, which I, I believe now kind of uh, Sophia and Roman kind of own, is Zo- uh, American Zoetrope, and they they produced oh. this film as well. So they're very much is the heart of the Coppola family like beating throughout this film mm-hmm. it's got the stamp yeah yeah, yeah, on it. yeah yeah it's got that mark of approval um well yeah before we start yeah. to wrap this up is there anything that we've kind of missed about this film that you kind of wanted to talk about at all daisy i just really i just really love teddy's character and i i looked actually and i was like i wonder if jack kilmer's been in anything else and he has but not anything else i've seen i don't know if you've seen him in anything else but i just think he was a really sweet character in this and like you could argue some people be like, oh, we didn't really have much to do, but it was more about the subtleties, like you say, in this, he clearly was a very sweet boy, but just sort of like encouraged by the wrong kind of people, mm. which happens like that's what they're, they're trying to say. But I'd really like to maybe check out some more of his stuff that he's done. Um, and now I just want now, especially with the trend on Twitter of nepotism, I just want one big Hollywood family tree. <laughs> just so we can all clear up everything. Who's, who's related to who? we all know yeah. who's come from where. Well, I've yeah. made it for the Coppola sure. family, and that took me fucking ages, so I'm not doing it. Exactly. I'm not doing it for the whole of Hollywood, because <laughs> it would be... Maybe if everyone takes a family, and then we all like yeah, sort of well, yeah, come together, we, we can build like a tapestry so, or something. Yeah, it, it would be <laughs> as evil as the tapestries in Midsummer. Do you know what I mean? These kind of d- demonic yeah. pagan uh, tapestries of evil uh yeah i well it is hollywood so um yeah as 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 we start to wrap things up one of the questions i like to ask people is is there any copal connections in this film are there there people who have worked with members of the family elsewhere in their career did you manage to find Mm. any daisy i mean probably (laughs) but i i've They've all escaped. I've me now. I, I've I, I've got a load, so I'll rattle off a few, and then we can we can I'll dig into on. dig into ones that are interesting. And then I'll go. Oh yeah, of course. I forgot that one. Yes, like to every single no, one. No, some of them are <laughs> some of them are quite uh like either uncredited stuff Obscure. or yeah, like depending on which cut of the film you see, this person is in it. So uh, sure, <laughs> uh, let's get them out of the way. James Franco starred in the only film that Nick Cage has ever directed, Sonny. Uh, and has a cameo and a hint to a sequel of The Wicker Man, depending on which cut you see. Um, yeah, oh, wow. there is a scene at the end of. It doesn't spoil The Wicker Man, but there's a scent. There's a scene at the end of a, a certain cut where it's like you see characters like, are they going to do what they've done again? And James Franco's kind of the person right. they're setting up, and he also appears in The Green Hornet, which we talked about last week on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, which was uh, DOP'd by John Schwartzman. Uh, Val Kilmer was in Bad Lieutenant alongside Nicolas Cage. Let's do this one. This is a long one. Jacqueline Delafontaine, <laughs> who is Gia Coppola's mother, is in Francis Ford Coppola's Jack and Gia Coppola's Mainstream. She also worked as a costume designer on Christopher Coppola's Deadfall Sophia Coppola's short film Lick the Star and Eleanor Coppola's latest film Love is Love is Love and was a wardrobe assistant on The Godfather Part 3. So she's kind of, she's wow. very much benefited from the Coppola family. Which, mm-hmm. um, oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, it, it would be remiss not to mention like there's, 
like so Gia's dad uh, Gina Carlo Coppola like died in the late 80s in a kind of tragic boating accident oh okay. so like um wow. yeah it's kind of beautiful because he was being like uh almost like the baton was going to be passed from uh francis to him he was basically training him to become a director oh, and then wow. like tr- yeah as i said tragically passed away so it's beautiful in a way to see gia kind of pick up that mantle and sophia yeah, yeah, as well yeah, yeah. yeah like obviously the women of the mm-hmm. family when it usually go to the firstborn male i don't know if he's the first he was the firstborn but... male yeah 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 yeah. yeah. there you go there you um go. bailey coppola who plays one of the kids at the party is in Sophia Coppola. Yeah, where where are where's Bailey Coppola on the tree? So Bailey Coppola is uh, uh, Nicholas Cage's nephew. So he is Christopher Coppola's son. Okay. So he is yeah. Okay. And you like if you Google a picture <laughs> of him, you will see that he is like the spit of Nicholas Cage. Do you, when you close your eyes, do you see this family tree? Uh, somewhat. I, like, <laughs> is it like burnt into your, burnt into your I retinas? I have said many times, <laughs> I am basically like Charlie in that episode of It's Always Sunny. Oh my with God, With the string yeah. and the like pin board. You need to talk about yeah, the mail. Yeah, I need to talk about the Coppolas. That's me, yeah. So uh, <laughs> Bailey Coppola is in his dad's film, Sacred Blood, and is in a score to settle playing a younger version of Nicolas Cage's character. One more, and then we're done. Uh, Colleen Camp, who plays the lady who Teddy crashes into, um, was sure. <laughs> played a playmate in Apocalypse Now, so plays like a dancing girl. Oh, is funny. in Nicolas Cage's first film he ever starred in, Valley Girl, and is in A Glimpse oh. Inside the Mind of Charles Swan III, which was directed by Roman Coppola, as well as being in Mainstream, directed by our girl. Wow. Gia Coppola. Amazing. <laughs> the, what a yeah. web. What a web of I, I, I love it. I, there, there probably is more, but um, I don't know. I always toy with the idea of dropping that section because it's just me rattling off a load of weird facts and people are just probably at home. No, but I enjoyed <laughs> it. I enjoyed it. Uh, so uh, let's rate this film. Let's kind of, yeah, figure out whether people should watch this. So, um, the way we rate films on this podcast, Daisy, is we, we always, we always mm-hmm. ask what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? <laughs> well, I thought about this um, and I felt like um, the perfect wine pairing for this. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you, and, and ra- rather than just like a specific name, I'll kind of give a little, just a, a bit more of a feel about the vibe. Um, a cheap rosé that looks expensive. Mm-hmm. With a cigarette, or maybe some weed. That, 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 I reckon, yeah. Or you could definitely, and maybe a shot of something. You as could well. definitely pair this with a can, not not a glass, a can of the Giacopola yeah. wine. <laughs> there is a Giacopola wine you can buy, and you can get it in a kind of oh my like a Marks god, and Spencer's tin kind of. Uh, say, oh my god, I really want to try so it. Pack. Yeah. I, Yes, 100%, but sitting there like Emma Roberts, drinking the wine out of the can with a cigarette that she's not smoking <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, yeah, wonderful. And finish it off with a splash in a pool. Because 
swimming pools seem to feature quite yeah, heavily. It's, 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 it's Palo Alto. There's got to be swimming pools. I'm sure there's one in every garden. Yeah. Um, so would would uh-huh. that wine be a bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf wine? AKA, is this film any good? Ah, oh, I mean, you don't usually get cans of wine on the on the top shelf, but this is Giacoppola wine, so I would say it's it's a top shelf film because the things that are it's missing on is all up to interpretation, okay. I feel, and I st- although it's meandering and stuff, I think maybe I didn't enjoy it as much this time because. I knew what was going to happen. I wasn't necessarily in the headspace to watch a mm-hmm. film like that. I didn't think, oh, I want to watch Palo Alto. I watched it for the podcast. And the more we talk about it, the more I kind of do want to revisit it again and also get other people's opinions. So I'm going to be bold and I'm going to say time. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for maybe in the next couple of years as it hits its 10-year anniversary, we might start to get um, some kind of retrospective looks, looks at it and stuff like that. I like kind of trying to scour the internet yeah. and kind of trying to find people especially speaking about it in the light of kind of uh everything that happened mm-hmm. with well it just brings to it's just person isn't it you know the, the 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 whole point of this film is look at what's happening to even the most privileged of teenagers in fact the fact that they're so the fact that they are privileged means that they are doing these things because they're just like no connection to anything what's going on the fact that the guy that wrote the story and is in it has done exactly mm. what the guy yeah. in the can- the film does is just hammers that home that point home even well, yeah. more. One thing I forgot to mention, and I think that is like pertinent, pertinent to mention, is the fact like the way that this film handles like the kind of like kind of flirtations with abuse because sometimes it's not actually like abuse hasn't happened or like oh, uh, yeah. or the way it handles abuse. This film, not even just the kind of like the hint of yeah. abuse. Is like and and uh, and I think through the characters is really fascinating in the way that it kind mm-hmm. of like Teddy tells Fred about his dad basically trying trying it on with him, like, which is a very like kind of skin crawling and uh, like yeah mm-hmm. you can like as as an audience you're like this is so inappropriate. Do you know I mean the moment he says like I'm gonna come sit yeah. next to you like it's kind of like red flag red flag yeah it just. Uh... Uh, but like the way that is kind of shrugged off and throughout the film it's kind of a, a abuse is weirdly and it, it feels like it's conscious on Gia Coppola's part even the way she frames yeah, that Emily thing where it's like that yeah but it, it, it captures that aspect of people who go through this and kind of especially when you because they don't know until they're adults that it was abuse, yes. right? Like, 100%. Exactly. And even, like, with April's character, her getting jealous about the attention that he gives Raquel and the fact that she gets really pissed off when she finds out that he's sleeping with her as and well. And there's, there's, like... I think... There's a yeah. really tiny moment when he first kisses her and there's a smile she does and like, it's really quick and then, like, the, 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 it, it cuts. And it's, like... Mm. It doesn't look... It do, it doesn't look like a sweet. It looks sinister. Do you know what I mean? It's like she kind of like I don't mm. know. It's like a devilishness to it, where it's like I know that something. Like she almost knows something's wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like it's kind of like a yeah, oh. yeah. But she likes it, so it's like yeah. And I think that's something that we maybe didn't actually like sort of verbalize is that all of this is done in such a way that is it. Although you said about the whole kids thing, like it was a lot more sort of 
specific and like hard hitting and stuff. Maybe the the whole point of this film is that it is normalized and it's told through the eyes of teenagers who just think this stuff is yeah. normal. Like they they drink, they do drugs, they they drive under the influence, they sexually assault each other, you know, and this is all happening. And when I say it like that in a list, you would think, what the hell is this film? But it's done in such a aesthetically pleasing yeah. way that it's really interesting now we've mentioned it. Oh yeah, no, that was the point. One hundred. Yeah, and it kind of it, 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 the the film has that sheen of like a kind of a teenage memory, and especially encapsulating that time when, like, mm-hmm. you you'd guess where the fact that they're driving and stuff like that that they're probably like sixteen, seventeen years old. So it is very much on that mm-hmm. cusp of becoming an adult as well, and that that push pull of like wanting to get rid of childish things and wanting to be an adult, but at the same time like you're not quite ready for it and like arguments like even in your mid-20s like pushing your 30s you're still not ready for adult (laughs) shit as I can attest to um (laughs) so so yeah like I think I think it's a it's a fascinating film and I'd definitely say this is like a a, a middle shelf wine but it's very much like tick like do you know what I mean it's 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 on the periphery to to a top like yeah yeah for sure. Yeah, it's not like, you know, top shelf. Yeah, you're not getting that little you know? uh, that little stall out to, to, to do you know what I mean? You're not, you're not, asking, yeah, a, you're not yeah. asking a supermarket attendant to... You can reach yeah, yeah. it. It's reachable. Perfect, perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you might need to get on, you might need to go on your tiptoes nice, a little nice. bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as, you, you, yeah as I said, you, you, as I like to use a restaurant analogy, you're not turning over the page. When you, if you're ordering this wine in a restaurant, it's kind of st- right. still on the first page. It's not that expensive. Uh, so um, let's move on to some impossible questions. And the first one is, which Coppola family member Gosh. would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmographies of the entire rest of the family. Oh, this is such a tough one. Because obviously, like, first of all I'm terrible and there's so many films that I haven't seen so I feel like whenever this sort of stuff comes up I'm like oh god I wish that I had seen like a lot more to make a proper a proper decision so to speak um whilst I do love what I've seen of of Sophia she was my first thought I just can't get rid of the godfathers sorry (laughs) I'm film bro 100 percent. i've got a back to the future star wars and pulp fiction posters i am your poster film bro and sorry all a lot of the people that i know shit on the godfather but because it's just an obvious but i just i just love it i think it's just masterful cinema and i just can't get rid of it so and apocalypse now is amazing <laughs> as well so maybe i need to watch more francis for a couple of films but um of those alone i can't but what i was going to say to you earlier is <laughs> when i when i was considering this i was like hmm but if i get rid of spike jones does that mean i get rid of the jackasses <laughs> you get no i reckon you just get rid of the bit you get rid of those lavish intros for the jackass movies because that i think they're the things he he first hand directs. So you get rid of the shopping cart. And if we can get rid of the sections where he pretends to be old woman, I don't find that that funny. So they can Perfect. go. Fine. All right. Then I'm happy with my decision. <laughs> Perfect. 
Funnily enough, I, I, I said last week, I always toy with the idea of covering the Jackass movies on this podcast because of the, because of the Spike Jones connection. <laughs> because of the superfluous connection. I mean, you're going to get that. You're going to run out of films at some point. You've got to find somewhere else. Oh, yeah. So. And like, I always love the fact that um, Sophia and Spike were married and she obviously like met a load of the Jackass guys because Chris Pontius turns Amazing. up in, uh, da, 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 in Somewhere. And Johnny Knoxville, I believe, is in Mainstream as well, a film that, yeah. What? So, <laughs> okay, I've got to watch it now. So, so, I didn't so, know yeah, that. I, th- I think the, the jacker. <laughs> Unless he says, hi, I'm Johnny Knoxville and this is Mainstream. Yeah. I'm not interested. If, 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 if he doesn't, that's how I'm going to introduce that episode. <laughs> yeah. I completely screwed up that quote, by the way. I'm a new Jackass fan, so sorry to all the old school ones. But um, I'm still getting still getting used to, like you know, being as 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 a representative of those old school fans. We forgive you, Daisy. Don't worry. Um, So, based on this (laughs) film alone, are the Coplas the greatest film family of all time? I think I'm going to have to say yes. Like, come on, like as a collective. Like, just look at the power that they have and the influence. And basically, I think that they're trying to just take over the world <laughs> at this point. They're just, like, spawning, you know, all over the place. Kind of like Alien. They're just laying all the eggs. And then we'll just get generations and generations of of Coppola's. And, and one day, um, there will purely be a Hollywood subsector that is just Coppola spawned. Um, <laughs> it will be a very, um, very specific club, yeah. Uh, <laughs> elitist, so to speak. What's fascinating about them, though, is with Francis, like he almost operates outside of the Hollywood system because Zoetrope is based mm-hmm. in San Francisco, so even geographically, it's kind of it's out, it's like out in the Napa Valley and stuff like that. He, Maybe. Well, there you go. Maybe San Francisco's there. We go. There we go. Well. Um, Let's move on to possibly the most important question on this podcast, and that is, what does Bill Murray say to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation? Well, I read, and I think it makes sense, and I, in my head it is canon since I read it, is something like, I have to be leaving now, but I won't let that come between us. Okay. You can have that. So I, so I read that and I've read other stuff as well, but I think that's the one that most people think it is. And I don't know, it just feels like even the way it's like written. And to be honest, someone could have just made it up and made it sound like Bill Murray, but that sounds like <laughs> Bill Murray. And one day I will watch it back and be like, like squinting at the screen, yeah, trying yeah. to work out what he's saying, which I'm sure many, 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 many people yeah, have done. And maybe that's how they got to that one. But I think for me, that's canon. I'm happy perfect. with that works with perfect the story. uh yeah mo- most people use it as an opportunity to do like a an anti-disney joke or something so it's a, a breath of fresh air someone's oh, done, no, the, no, done their just... research to to actually find out what possibly could have been yeah. said. <laughs> no i'm yeah i'm full-on no facts all the way facts all the way i'm i'm sorry i'm so like i've got like two two brain cells like rubbing together at this point i can't be creative no worries no worries it's a it's um <laughs> It's, it's, de- it's the first time we've had that answer. So, yeah, I, I look forward. Well, there you go. That That's how I'm different. Is I just come straight back. I look forward to <laughs> when I eventually cover that film, just doing a super cut 
of all of them together, which will take me fucking ages, but will probably be a lot of fun. Oh my god, um, yeah. That would be and fun. a reminder to people listening as well, if you rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, tell us what you think Bill Murray says to Scott Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation <laughs> in your five star review. Uh so uh that's there the, you go. Add more work with for that you. plug <laughs> out of the way. It's time for you, Daisy, to plug yourself. Mm-hmm. Where can people find W-Rated? Where can people find you if they want to hear your opinions on films and what you're up to? And I'm sure that they would love my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Um, so I'm on um, Twitter as Daisy Vic Edwards. Instagram, Daisy Victoria Edwards. And Letterboxd as well is Daisy Victoria Edwards. And then for W-Rated, um, it's at W-Rated Pod on Twitter um, and Instagram, I believe. And then... Um, w rated as it as it's spelled for letterbox perfect uh I, yeah i would say to people to 100 check out w rated it's a it's a fantastic podcast in the way that you kind of delve into these terrible films but it never feels mean or kind of like uh oh. i don't know it could be so easy to but yeah especially like you get a lot of like we don't like to kick a dog when it's down exactly you get a lot of you know if you're already on the bottom 100 you're at the you're on the drag yeah, exactly you're you're, money, you're, so. you're you're that you're very much that kind of like uh picking up that drunk person who's at the bar and kind of being like, <laughs> we'll see you through this we'll make sure you get in a taxi and go home to your to, to your bed I love set. That. yeah that's uh that's the love- <laughs> that, that's the vibe of w8 i love it thank you that's what we aim for we don't want to kick a dog grits down we want to find out why people hate these films and sometimes don't get me wrong we hate them too <laughs> but we just but but we work out why at least amazing well thank you so much for coming and making some copal connections with me ah oh, thank you thank you for having me There we have it, guys. A massive thank you once again to Daisy Edwards for joining me. And if you're not checking out W-Rated, then what the fuck are you doing with your life? Um, If you enjoyed this episode or you... No, if you felt like we might have missed anything with this film or kind of... I don't know. Felt, felt, um, yeah, how did... Not, not, yeah, how did how did how did how did I handle the the subject matters of this film? Was it was it was this a good one to cover? Like I'm always I'm always up for learning and growing. And uh, tell me if I'm wrong. So you can get hold of me on all the socials, which is Caged in Pod um, at gmail.com is the email. I don't know why I just said that, but yeah, it's at Caged in Pod on all the socials. So that's Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterbox. See, look, I'm talking about learning, growing. I'm just showing you that I'm a fallible human being. I just made a mistake right <laughs> then. Um, so, yeah, if you want to drop me an email, do so. Uh, yeah, if you if you want to ever ever drop me an email, you ever want to, I, I love hearing from you guys. Not just praise and stuff like that, but just uh, expanding the conversation. Um, and one of the ways you can expand the conversation, and if you want to support this podcast because you enjoy it in any way, is heading over to patreon.com forward slash pod. Well, right now you can get access to the brand spanking new uh, season over there, Movie Brat Bros. We're in the first season. We are going all the way through the films 
of Brian De Palma. So far, we've got three episodes out, one to drop this coming Thursday, which will be a conversation with Mark Searby and Matt Brothers all about Carlito's Way. So you don't want to miss that one. Uh, as for next week on the podcast, I am joined by, I guess, like the the prince of podcasting, at least at least in film film podcasting. It's the fantastic Mike Munzer from, I'm sure you're aware, the Evolution of Horror Podcast, which is by far like a kind of staple of British and global podcasting. Like Mike, Mike's done so much. He recently did a. Um, a, a, a like sanctioned scream podcast with former guests Anna Bogutskaya and uh, Louise Blaine all about yeah the scream franchise which is again fantastic uh, and it was a pleasure to talk to Mike all about a uh, 1990s dimension films movie called Nightwatch starring Ewan McGregor, Josh Brolin, Nick Nolte and our Coppola connection for that episode the always lovely Patricia Arquette. I've already sold you the Patreon, so if you don't want to part with your cash, one of the ways that you can support this podcast is heading over to Apple Podcasts, Acast, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now, leaving a lovely five-star rating and a review. In your review, as always, I want to hear what you think Bill Murray said to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation. And any of my favourite ones will get read out on the podcast. So, as always, guys, I've been Petros Patsilavis. I've been your handy guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavour. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast. Caged in Coppola Connections, A Drip Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network, it's family. <laughs>